today. Three movies enter and one movie leaves. This is a very special episode of the Great Movie Showdown. Our first round tonight, Big Hero 6, a movie about a big robot and a dead brother in a fictional city, <laughs> San Francisco. And Zootopia, a movie about a tiny bunny trying to work her way to become a hard-hitting cop. This is the Great Movie Showdown. Should we talk about Ratatouille too? That will be <laughs> in the winner of this round, Matt. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Matt Smith hey guys. and William Goodnow. What's up? <laughs> Matt, you gotta let Zach get through the intro, man. Yeah. He forgot about Ratatouille. And I'm Ratatouille. your host, Zach Twitty. <laughs> Ooh, that's a solid intro right there. Oh, anyway, Matt, you wanna... Yeah, oh, so... We have three movies this time. If, you, if you've listened to our uh, previous episodes, and especially the first episode, I explained how we have four playing rounds between movies that we, like, just basically the bracket's not big enough, and there's, like, a couple of movies that we want to see in, so we're going to have them play and go up against each other. And then the winner of that is going to go up against the winner of Ratatouille for this one. So yeah, that's the reason why we're do we're gonna do Zootopia versus Big Hero Six for like the first half of the show, and then we're gonna pick a winner between those two, and then we will talk about Ratatouille, and then pick between Ratatouille and the winner between of uh, Zootopia and Big Hero Six. That's pretty much it. Sweet. Yeah, if you couldn't tell by the uh, the parentheses the. The PEMDAS equation that is this episode title, Big Hero 6 and Zootopia in parentheses. This episode is actually brought to you title, by middle school math. <laughs> please excuse our dear Aunt Sally. Yes. And please excuse our... Oh, speaking of ants, there's an ant in Big Hero 6. What was her name? Ooh. Uh, oh. She, voiced by Maya Rudolph, right? I think so. I think. Oh, let's look at the full cast Aunt Cass. Aunt Cass. <laughs> Aunt Cass, yeah. She has which like I really liked that character, actually. She has I a cameo in uh, what was it? Uh, Wreck It Ralph. Ralph breaks the in- internet. There's like uh, spoilers, some spoilers. I haven't seen that one. No, there's some movie detail where it's like sexy singles in your area, and it shows a picture of that ant. Now I gotta look for oh, that. Wow. Um, Interesting. Was, my favorite tidbit from Big Hero Six is uh, James Cromwell playing uh, the Doctor Callahan, the, the genius yeah. guy. That was like always nice to hear his voice because he's got such a distinctive voice. I remember first time mm-hmm. I saw him in anything was uh, obviously Babe, and then you know it's like it's nice to reunite with your childhood. Was he in Babe? Was he the farmer? Yeah, he was the farmer. Okay, it's been so long since I've seen Babe. I think I was probably six when I last saw Babe. I used to watch it in preschool every day. It was like, oh, we've got the Babe VHS or the Bugs Bunny VHS. One of you guys should Google. I'm pretty sure. Just fact check me on this. Um, I think yeah. um, James Cromwell was Oscar nominated for Babe. Also, Stan Lee was in the movie. I think Babe was like nominated for an Oscar yeah, as well. I think they're nominated for Oscar, but I think James Cromwell was nominated like for Best Supporting Actor or something like that. For, in Babe? I think so, dude. I could be wrong, but I know the movie overall, yeah, it was. It was like Oscar nominated. Well, I it's thought like you didn't babe. care about the Oscars. It's just cool little fun tidbit, Matt. We're on a podcast about movies. Why not at least let my nerd <laughs> schlong? Okay, I'm looking up the Babe IMDb right now. 
Okay, okay supporting actor goes a long way. We've uh, already gone off the rails. Yeah, we have. No, Hugo Weaving was in it as Rex. I don't know any of these characters because I haven't seen Babe in over twenty years. I know years. it was like Baz Luhrmann production. Get a lot of Aussies in that in that cast. I know there was, was like a Baz sequel, Luhrmann Babe Two: Pig in the City. Yes, which was even better. Yeah. Which I only saw once because it wasn't good. (laughs) Anyway, back to Big Hero 6, the movie that we're actually here to talk about. Exactly. Um, So I like this one. I watched this movie, I think, last night. Um, I thought the I thought because so let's talk about what it is. This is a uh, this is a Marvel property. You guys were saying, right? Correct. Yes. But they literally only just took the name Big Hero 6 and took nothing else. Um, Big Hero Six from the comics actually kind of like World War Z. Yeah, basically, because it, it happens in a futuristic Tokyo with like Silver Samurai and mm-hmm. all these all like kind of C and D list Marvel characters. Obviously, most of them Asian, and like it was a really cool run that they had, like limited editions, things like that. Nothing too spectacular, just really fun. Marvel just was like, yeah, sure, take it, whatever. And then Disney was like, well, we can't do anything with these characters, so we'll just invent our own. And like that's why you got um. What's the one Wayan brother? His name um, in the movie is Wasabi. He's got the, the blades that can cut through anything. It's kind of like a yeah. nod to Silver Surfer. Or Silver Surfer, Jesus. Silver Samurai. And um, all the other characters are kind of knockoff, Disney-fied versions of what... Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yep. Hmm. So there's no Baymax? No. No. Complete invention for the movie. Oh, which I do want to mention real quick. Scott adds it. He's mm-hmm. like in a bunch of stuff and I recognize him in a bunch of stuff, but I feel like he's not, he's not like a name that's as recognized by a lot of people, but he's like one where every time I notice him in something, I was like, oh yeah, this guy, sweet. He has a very, he always just has like a very, I don't, I guess, I don't know, an, an entertaining performance that, that always just sort of. I don't know. I always, I always feel entertained whenever he's in something. Like I recognize that. If that Do you makes know sense. Movies he's been in because he's a voice actor, right? So like he's been. The- yeah. Well, he was in. I. Th- he was in like some episodes of Community, I think, too. Okay. Right. Yeah, and like I know that he's been in like other animated stuff too. Okay. But um, I do want to double check this so that uh. I gotta be honest. I didn't really uh, recognize him, but I did want to say. That he does make or break the movie. Like his character, the character of Baymax, how he sounds. Oh, Baymax is great. Like, like, yeah, it's either it's really just whether or not he works or not. And and it does. It works. I mean, there's there's really nothing else to be said. That is literally the entire movie. It's his relationship with um, Hero. So, you know, if that's not working, if that seems like forced or too corny or too uh, cartoony, I mean, it is an animated movie. But still, like the heart and soul of the movie is the relationship with Baymax and um, we should go ahead and say that Tadashi, the older brother, follows in the long line of Disney older siblings, parents who just sadly have to meet an end at the uh, in the first act to really get that character development going. That, <laughs> that really annoyed me. Like between <laughs> the older brother dying and the professor dying, I was like watching the movie and I was like, wow, these characters are really awesome. And then they die. And I'm like, fucking <laughs> Disney. They, yeah, they, they did it again. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they do best. I mean, let's be honest, man. Disney is like, they've been doing this shit since Bambi, man. Or um, yeah. what, was, what was even uh, Dumbo 2? I mean, mm-hmm. not literally the sequel. I mean, like Dumbo, where, you know, his mom, 
Dumbo 2 <laughs> probably would have been made in the 90s. I wish I was making that shit up, but I think they did do a DVD sequel. So no. Um, but yeah, like they've been doing that shit, you know, since the inception of Disney animation. Is they've been taking your lovable aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, and they're all dead. I mean, Snow White. Movie starts off, fucking dad died, now she's stuck with the stepmom. So there you go. I mean, what am I talking about? The step, um, the, 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 I'm thinking Cinderella. The fucking, um, uh, Evil Queen is technically like, you know, her, uh, her stepmom. That's the whole thing. That's how the story goes. So there's that. I mean, her dad died off screen. So <laughs> Disney, baby. Disney. Killing all your, uh, your loved ones. Making you cry and then making you fall in love all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I need to like double check and make sure that this is like the same guy that I was talking about. <laughs> uh, I don't want to like Zach, be wrong that's like again. your first point that you made about the movie. You can't be wrong about that. Um uh, gosh, I feel like we, we have to actually give Big Hero Six a little bit more of like a dissection here to compare it to Zootopia. I guess yeah. I'll say this both films do a little bit of world building. Uh Zootopia does it obviously infinitely better. They have a much oh, yeah. more they have a much more, uh, how do you say it, like a creative uh, leeway. Well, when you're like, taking like humans and making them into some kind or animals and trying to build some kind of human-esque anthropomorphized yeah. society around that, there's a little bit more than, oh, we're in future San Francisco and Tokyo are one sort of weird mashup city and robotics has advanced to where people are doing battle bots and back alley for money. Right. I feel like that city feels more like San Francisco rather than Tokyo. Really? With all of like the yeah. Japanese writing everywhere? Well, no, I mean, just by how just, it looks. Like, yeah. it, it's like more open, and I feel like San Francisco's more open. I've never been to any either know. city, just by like looking at how those cities are portrayed. Well, I was going to say, like, if you've seen either Bullet or um, The Rock, uh, both of them which take place in San Francisco, you know like the hill areas and stuff like that in San Francisco has such a distinctive look. And that's basically what you get. I mean, to be honest, big hero six doesn't really kind of do too much as far as fleshing out the world around them, except as you said, Zach, and mm-hmm. it's like they just slap some, you know, Japanese looking stuff across stuff and be like, okay, this is San Francisco. And you're like, Oh, okay. It looks cool. And then like, not to anybody who loves this movie, I don't want to like crap all over it. I just want to say like, to be honest, we're comparing the movies. Zootopia takes the cake because it really kind of fleshes out even the the machinations of this world. I mean, right down well, to it's not like spoiler. I can't like I, I can't imagine like the work that they put into Zootopia with the, yeah. all the different like areas, like even like the little mice village area that they built. I just want oh, to yeah. be in the same room as the individual who literally wrote the scene with the sloth being at the DMV. Cause I want to high five him, hug him, kiss him and give him everything that he deserves. Will you do it really slow if you high five him? Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, it's one of the greatest scenes. That was ever. like a, their teaser trailer pretty much. Right. Cause I yeah. remember seeing yeah. that before. Well, I yeah. Cause it was film. such a slow scene. It takes up the whole trailer. And, but it's so perfect. Like even if yeah. you saw the trailer, when you were, when you were in the theater, you were waiting for that scene again. Cause it's so, I dare. Well, I say it's it's like art imitates life. I mean, if you've ever been to the DMV, Every yeah. in popular media, the whole thing about the DMV is, oh my god, it's so slow. When I actually oh. went to get my license at the DMV, it was really quick. So maybe that's they just a Florida thing to- where we have a really quick DMV. And maybe they listened to our complaints and made changes. Like <laughs> I, I went like 
eight years ago, like when I first got my license and they like gave me a number and then I just waited for like less than an hour then yeah. it happened. Yeah. Well, to get and back then all to... the other stuff you could do over the phone or online. <laughs> to get back to the, the movie comparisons, I do want to say this. Zootopia follows the detective, you know, uh, the bright eyed detective in a, a uh, corrupt city narrative and it does it in such a creative way. And obviously, once again, you guys, we're going to revisit this. Pixar kind of perfected it, and then Disney Animation stole it for this movie and really worked it, which is the buddy, I guess in this instance, it would be buddy cop formula, right? Um, and they do that really well. And um, and then you flip it back to Big Hero 6, which once again has the buddy formula. you got Baymax and Hero. And I got to admit, if I can compare two things, is that like Big Hero 6 follows this almost trajectory of the traditional superhero um what you call it, like a um, superhero, what am I trying to say here, origin story? That's the cat. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that is the cat messing with my blinds. But um, what you're looking at here is like, what I got from Big Hero 6 is the scene where Hero finally like straps the rocket boost to Baymax and he's in the armor and you get the first flight. It reminded me of like that first scene where Peter Parker's like swinging through the city, only it's like a a B version of it. Like if I were to put it on a grade scale, A plus 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 would be the first Spider-Man when you're really seeing him swing and like really enjoying like the craziness of him chasing the bad guy. Whereas in Big Hero Six, if I gotta be honest, because it was so ingrained in superhero lore at that point, like we had seen it a million times before, mm-hmm. you could literally trace that to other superhero movies. Like it just didn't really have the same effect for me. I preferred the scenes between him and Baymax, like when they were alone. Like when Baymax flipped out, went like code red, I guess you could say, and like attacked everybody. And then he, they were Oh my gosh. I definitely wanted to talk about that has, scene. Yeah, the conversation he has with him in that scene afterwards is really great. I like that. I appreciate that. That's when the movie's like at its peak, but it just doesn't have enough of that for me as in comparison to like Zootopia's emotional weight, where it even goes into obviously, you know, let's, let's just say what it is. Like it goes into, it lightly, touches on like racism and like you know disparity and injustice and stuff like that but it is Wait, utopia or big hero six utopia utopia, oh, utopia. Yeah, right? you know with the predators and stuff like that they definitely they went the, disney kind of stretched it a little bit but they kept they kept it pg but it was nice well and with the whole like how oh it's, this is the first bunny on the police force and stuff right. and then they like yeah that could be used for like maybe like sexism or Honestly, or even like racism as well well, well, yeah, the racism thing was definitely the predators, right? Like, oh, they're always oh, gonna yeah. turn, they're gonna turn. What did they use the word for? Like, I guess feral, whatever. Yeah, like, oh, they're gonna do it one day and stuff like that. And you have the great scene, um, like a little cutaway to like a guy who's clearly a panther on a uh, a subway who's like, look, man, I, I'm just trying to mind my own business and stuff like that. And it was really great to see them do something like that and make it feel organic to like the story. It's really cool to see like, oh, who's doing it? And of course, the big bad just falls flat. I mean, Disney really. I can't even give Big Hero 6 a big props because as much as I love James Cromwell, you kind of figured it was Callahan by the end. You're like, oh, okay, it's yeah, it's him and whatever. And, all right, we don't really care. What do you mean by the end? You mean when they reveal that it's him? Yeah, right at the end, climactic scene where everyone's the team now and you know he's got the... the yeah, when they go to the quarantine island or whatever. That villainy, which still yeah. like it looks visually cool, but let's be honest, it's just like it literally he controls a giant erector set full of like stuff and it, that's it. Yeah. I mean I thought that the whole microbots thing was a cool concept and it that was. was neat. But also like how was he able to fabricate that many like microbots that quick? Yeah. I don't know, maybe they have some and kind of three D like printer technology for basic components and stuff. 
in this weird future world to where like your imagination is the only thing limiting you in which case cool why did no one like think this sooner and this like kid had to do it yeah and then um i felt like we could have had a little bit more of what's his name who was the alistair alistair cray oh that was alan tudyk alan tudyk's character yeah oh steve the pirate from yep dodgeball and And, uh that guy he plays the bad guy in um Wreck-It Ralph, the first one, which I love. So. Oh, yeah, okay. that was some yeah, candy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's Alan Tudyk. I love Alan Tudyk. I love. <laughs> He's him. great. I love him in everything. I think he was yeah. a robot, and I robot too. Yes, he was. Yes, he Wait, was. Wait, he was. He was Sunny. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, he's so good, dude. I always, uh, I always thought that movie was good, and then when I got older, and then people are like hating on I Robot, and I'm like, well, I, I thought it was a good movie. Tudyk. I got to see Alan Tudyk as uh, Wash on Firefly. And that was always awesome. And then I saw him, you know, obviously when they made the movie, I love him even more. And I cried and I hated Joss Whedon for a while for killing him. But, um, oh, spoilers. Anyway. Oh, whatever, man. The movie's old. Right. Anyway, um, um, can can we talk about, like, some of the, the highlights of Big Hero 6? Yeah. Um, yeah. Go so ahead, Mac, you first. I think, I just want to, I just want to throw this one out there. Like, the emotional peak of the movie, I think, well, definitely, like, the darkest bit, the part when he takes out his brother's chip and uh, in Baymax where it's like, Oh, this is everything that I am is like in Baymax or whatever. And then he's like, take out the love program. And then Baymax is just in like super kill mode. And you don't even have any, like any dialogue going on, but just the music there, the music and the, just the, the fight sequence, your heart is breaking at that moment. Yeah. At least mine was, I was like, no Baymax. It's, this goes against everything that his brother wanted. And he's he just like wants this guy to die and to be brutally murdered by his dead brother's robot. (laughs) (laughs) But it's I mean, it's painful because then you feel for Baymax, too. And it's like he doesn't want he doesn't want that. He doesn't he wants to help people. But he pulled the thing that made him help people out and only left the kill chip in. Yep. (laughs) That's sad. It's true. No, it was really yeah. effective because you had spent so much time with Baymax and obviously we got all the cute scenes with him. So like to see them immediately flip that switch quite literally, yeah. it was really effective. And like you said, they drowned out all the major sound effects, dialogue, mm-hmm. anything. it was just that score. And so it, it did, it hit its peak right in there. And like I said, the scene that happens after it, it was really great, but I got to admit like, you know, that, that was it for me as well. Like that, that moment for me was really great. Um, I love the character design, but that that goes without saying. I mean, anything Disney, yeah. like, they they just throw buckets and buckets and truckloads of money at like really good yeah. artists who just do really good jobs. You know, I mean, what more can we say? Is, is like he preys upon them, like even for like Baymax, which once again, Zach, we were always going in on Pixar and like how they do texturization. You could feel yeah. that type of fabric that Baymax, yeah, the made like out vinyl, of. the vinyl wrap, and Baymax yeah. as a character is he's very fun. He has this. I guess like you you see this a lot with robot characters where they sort of have this what's what's the word like slightly autistic view of the world I guess where everything is sort of just in this very literal sense of it and they're like when he j- tries to help Hero and he just is like oh affection helps with loss and stuff like that like calling all of your friends to be around you just because just very textbook this is how to help a person 
so do this in the most literal sense and it's (laughs) it's very endearing it's very charming and it's it's very like awkward but in just a fun a fun and engaging way he's a he's a very just fun character to watch and to see him develop and grow as his own as he like learns about hero and the world around him and how to help people and be a better caretaker and just to see to see him even all the way through the end like when he uses the rocket fist to shoot him to shoot him and callahan's daughter out of this weird textured like wormhole thing um which is gorgeous by the way this like freaky crazy space world that they go through yeah they definitely went a little bit of um jack kirby there with the color yeah um and which was really great once again like going back and yeah. they, they visually harken back to like you know nice good marvel comics of, of i think it was like the silver age i could be full of crap but i'm just saying i don't know what any of that means <laughs> now, let's not get into it here let's focus on disney but yeah nerd. but um still it was really good I, I did like it i don't want to crap on the movie at all not too much it's just you're right the, Anything centered around Baymax is great. Even like the opening sequence where you really see him. Remember in that like beta armor, that green like armor when he first meets him? Oh, yeah. The weird like Kevlar stuff. That whole chase slash fight scene is so funny. It's so great. Baymax is great in it where he's reminding everyone to buckle in and stuff like that. Really. Yeah. Anything Baymax related is great. And the physical humor is done so well. Um, But just like everything outside of that, I got to admit, like, I had to look up. I was like, oh yeah, TJ Miller. What's his character's name? Oh yeah, Fred. Oh yeah, Fred. I I do want to talk about that real quick. I do. I love TJ Miller and just about everything. I think he's a very fun actor to watch. Yes. And um, I mean, Fred's Fred's character definitely. I mean, there were some points where I'm like, okay, we get it. He's like unqualified for anything, but whatever. But even <laughs> like randomly rich all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the movie, the movie's kind of like abstract enough to where I was, I was okay with that. And I did like in the climax, like the whole idea with this movie, I think is go beyond like looking at things from a different angle. And when you have all of the characters using their weird gizmos for things other than the intended purpose to stop the, to stop the villain and to stop the, uh, the microbots from taking over San Francisco, which still feels weird to say. Yeah. And I did really love the animations with the microbots, how they had this weird like, fluid like movement with all of them together as they they built stuff and like when heroes walking on them and they're just forming a path around him. It's really cool. And it's I mean, it's basically like weird Star Trek technology. It's I don't know. It's it's neat. I loved it. No, you're absolutely right. It does. It's it's yeah. very visually stimulating. It's it's visually um, creative as well. Like I said, that final sequence where it's like you know the characters that are below, like I guess the mist or whatever it is, and like um, what's her one go uh, uh, go the one who like has the speed dials on her feet and she goes yeah. fast. Her way of like getting out of her little thing was really creative and fun and visually seeing her like she almost goes right into what would be i guess you can say the lens like when she's cutting through and you see like the red sparks that are now flying so, yeah like the it is visually creative but i mean i gotta admit it's just like i said the movie as a whole when it's over i'm like wow it was really great and oh i love baymax 
but if, if I'm ranking it or if I'm comparing it to Zootopia, I feel like Zootopia gave me a little bit more depth yeah. as far as like the world. And yeah. then also it didn't have the weight of having to go through. I mean, let's just go through the main characters. I think there's like, there's Honey Lemon, Gogo, Tadashi. Um, like I said, what's the one guy? Did I miss anybody? Whatever his name is. Uh, what's right? I'd say Wasabi. Wasabi uh, yeah. Like you've got Tadashi. all these five characters. Yeah, we have to explain what it is they do. Whereas Zootopia, even though it does introduce a lot of side characters, you're really kind of just with our our bunny and our fox, and it's really kind of their growth together and they're figuring it out. Yeah. And so you get to know a lot more about them, and you feel like you get to know them more. And mm-hmm. they and they're also a little more complex. It's fun. The relationship is cool. And I mean, how could you not root for that bunny, man? Because I mean, once again, Disney nails that character design. She's yeah. She's I mean, great. I love her. I thought she was great. She, I agree, <laughs> yeah, we should probably talk about Zootopia a little bit yeah. more I, before we get to our uh, before we get to the um, what's it called? Well, the, like, the voting. Like I said, if we're comparing it, like just think of like that sequence where she first gets to the city, and you see like all the animals have their specific like you know they use their attributes to do their jobs and stuff like that. But um, I did dig. Um, oh my god, hold on, wait a minute. I just I'm now reading it. How did I not put two and two together? Jenny Slate, who is amazing. Um, my girlfriend loves her as well. Like we both kind of gush over seeing her and everything. She plays Bellwether, who's the main villain. I knew I recognized that voice. Oh, I love her. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Jenny Slate, if you ever hear this somewhere in your life, I love you. Anyway. um, we... <laughs> Oh, shoot. I'm telling your girlfriend. No, she knows. We both love her. But anyway, um, the, the world design is so great that even like, I think when you get to close to just past the midway point, I might be putting it wrong, is where they, they meet our one-eyed Black Panther character who's like, you know, mysteriously kind of like been attacked at one point by a feral or feral Dr. Otter character. Because, I mean, I don't want to break down a whole story point, you guys. I don't think we need to give a full synopsis, but there's a mystery going on of like a doctor who is, you know, trying to make up, I guess, like someone made up something to turn predatorial animals uh, feral and they're attacking the lesser known it becomes like this big thing of like you know it, it's a very deep political stuff i really dug it with what zootopia was doing and um you get to this point and the world the set design is so great like it's dark and there's like a little bit of rain and like now it's like a jungle setting and they just got more room to play and not to mention like that chase sequence is really creative and they're falling from multiple platforms through like a bridge or whatever and like there's a, a rail car i guess that's going through after that there's so much stuff. Think of like the the dam sequence with all the wolves, like that great setup. It is really well done and really creative. And I really dug it. I think the world building and guys, Zootopia, real quick, right? I want to mention. Apparently, there was a post credits Stanley feature scene in Big Hero Six. Yeah, he plays uh, Fred's dad. Yeah, well, I remembered seeing like his picture in the uh, in the mansion, but I didn't watch the post credits scene. <laughs> you never so now it? I feel like a fool. No, well, I just watched the movie the other night for this podcast, but now I feel like I didn't get the full Big Hero Six experience. I'll watch that after this. Do you, <laughs> is that going to is that going to change my vote? It. I don't think so. It's not really all. I mean, it's the traditional Stanley Marvel cameo. So I mean, it's yeah. a minor Marvel profit property, and so they did a thing. It's a cute little scene, you know, where it's it's fine. There's a GIF that popped up on the internet where it says, and to think that I'm now part of a Disney animated feature. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, to get back to Zootopia, 
Nick Wilde, uh, as voiced by Jason Maitman, is amazing. But let's just talk about that smooth, terrific voice of Idris Elba as Chief Bogo. <laughs> if you don't know yeah. who that is, he's like the the I guess the bull character, right? Like, yeah, you, you yeah. Know. Well, he's what is he? He's like a oh, oh a what are they called? Buffalo. Yeah, well, not buffalo. it's he, like a specific kind of buffalo, right? Yeah, African he, buffalo is what it says. Yeah. And he's terrific. I mean, I just, I can't get enough. It's just Elba. I, I, is it a wildebeest? Is that what they're called? I think so. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a zoologist. I don't know. Well, cause he has those, like those weird horns. Yeah. yeah. Wildebeest where yeah, they have those creepy horns. Alan that, like, Tudyk is also around. in this. Alan Tudyk plays Duke. Alan Tudyk is in both movies that we're reviewing oh, wow. today. Alan is he in the Tudyk third one? He's the weasel. That steals. I don't know if you guys remember. Like it's in. The, it's the first little chase of the movie where she chases him through like Rat Town and stuff. Yeah. And then the rat it's that weasel that she's chasing. Alan Tudyk plays him, and it's great. <laughs> Chong is in us. And also, um, J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Oh, J.K. Simmons is the mayor, right? right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, is that the, the lion? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mayor Lionheart. I was, so I was saying something before. I feel like with the world building with Zootopia, like this feels like a movie that needs to have like a sequel or maybe even like two other movies. Just people do like, also ask, will there be a Zootopia too? I, really I mean, hope there will be, man. I want, I want the uh, the uh, rap copy back. This is so much. Order, yeah, November twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. Yes, Zootopia too. I'm ready for it. I'm built. Where for did it. you see that? At um. When I went to Zootopia cast, there was a thing that said, people also ask, will there be a Zootopia 2? So I clicked on it. Well, I'm on the Wikipedia page, and all I see is an update from June of 2016 saying that they're talking about a Zootopia sequel. So well, apparently the Wikipedia page isn't up to par. Well, this is the fandom wiki that I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, are we ready to vote, do we think? Oh, there's just like a couple more things I want to say. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So I guess like Zootopia, they're building like a Zootopia land in the Shanghai Disneyland park. And I think that would be pretty cool. I'm wondering if they're going to bring that to the American parks as well. Probably not. They brought Star Wars. Matt, I mean, about the movie? <laughs> well, I, just things about the movie I was bringing up. Oh, okay. I that's mean, fair. Well, okay. If you want me to like specify on the movie, I feel like both of these movies they don't really feel like a typical Disney movie. Like they, like they kind of seem like they, they could be like any other studio, like, like DreamWorks or something. Like, I don't just like the feel, maybe this is the animation style or maybe it's like kind of similar to like the movie, like the Disney movies from the two thousands that are just generic. And like, we don't even have them on their, on our list because they're forgettable. Not to say that they're bad movies, just like how they right. look. Right. Kind of, not- kind of feels like they, they don't have like your typical Disney feel to it. And maybe like, I guess you could even add like Wreck-It Ralph being like that. It could just be the evolution of the animation style. Well, I think you're also leaving out an important detail. Neither one of these is a musical. Like even, you know, I, uh, yeah, like I got to say like these are yeah, part of like that a, could be a, yeah. a trilogy of modern Disney animation was like um it was i think it was did wreck it ralph come out first or no i think it was yeah wreck it ralph big it was, Hero Ralph came out in like 20 
twelve, yeah. Yeah, so Big Hero Six is twenty fourteen and Zootopia twenty sixteen. It was like this this little trilogy here were Disney animated films that were not musicals. It was very distinctive. Well, so I think it it was mostly like traditionally the three D films were never musicals in the in that sense. I mean, like there was music in them, obviously, but oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying, Matt. Especially like, let's be fair. Like, we're, we're none of us think of Zootopia or even Big Hero Six as like top tier Disney animation. But if we're comparing the two, um, yeah, I guess we should get into that, right? We can just go ahead and pick them. Should we? Are we ready? I'm ready. All right. So here we go, Matt. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I. I'm like okay with Big Hero Six. I'm not like a huge fan of it. Like it's a fun movie to watch, but I just don't really. I don't feel like that connected to it. I do like Betamax or whatever his name is. Baymax. Baymax. Guess you don't like him enough to remember his name. Wow. I, I like Beta. I like Betamax better. Betamax. Okay. Oh yeah, Baymax. I I think he's I think he's cool. And like I'm a pass holder for the Disney parks in Orlando at least. <laughs> So I see him. I see him there all the time. I haven't really met him yet because I'm not that oh interested in meeting him. Oh my but, god! Like he makes me happy. His character is pretty good, and uh. <laughs> but like the movie overall, it's like okay. Dropping. Like Zootopia is a more entertaining movie. It has like better development, and I like like the dynamic between Judy Hopps and whatever that fox's name is. Nick, Nick Wild. Wild. Nick Wild. Like Jason Bateman. Like we we were talking about a Michael Keaton renaissance before, like maybe there's some sort of Jason Bateman renaissance going on because he was like doing dramatic roles as well, or maybe he's just always been awesome, and maybe I just didn't know about it. Kind but, of, yeah. I mean, everything I've seen him in, I've enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, he's not like amazing and horrible bosses, but he's also like he's been in Zootopia, he's been in Game Night. He's been in that one movie where he plays like the creeper, the gift Horrible or bosses. something. <laughs> yeah, no, so he's yeah. like he's uh, really good. He's also in Ozarks. I haven't watched it, but yeah. that's getting really good reviews. <laughs> so fun. I think there's there might be like a, a Bateman at pick a Renaissance. No, this is my time to Bateman shine. I'm like uh I'm maybe like over speaking my welcome, but yeah, Zootopia. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Zootopia. Yeah. All right. Well, I was going to go with Big Hero 6 I knew just you for were some Zach. of the... Uh, why? What gave it away? You just were talking so nice. The way you're eyeing up Baymax the whole time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy that. I, I've always been a fan of robots. I always just really liked robots and thought that they were cool. And there were a lot of fun, creative ways that robots did cool stuff in this movie. And a lot of the fun science and things. Um it was definitely hard. I mean, I do really like the hops and Nick Hopper dynamic or Nick wild <laughs> dynamic like that. Yeah, they're that, not married they, yet. They're not, but they're just, those are very entertaining characters to watch. Also, uh-huh. these are both great movies, I guess. Of Well, that's all that we'll hear. I guess Baymax wasn't able to, uh, to be a good enough caretaker to get his movie through to the next round. No, nope. you're gonna make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> what are we going up against? Now we got Zootopia up against. Say it again, Matt. Ratatouille. Oh snap! 
this rat with a heart for the culinary arts is about to step into the ring. Despite what his family says and what they choose to eat. And what they want to use his abilities for. (laughs) Um, I honestly, Zach, I know you remember what movie did we go literally scene by scene with? We we had to actually stop like near the end of the episode because we we would have literally stretched like two Uh, hours. I think that was Monsters Inc. Yeah, Yeah, Monsters Monsters Incorporated. And I feel like I feel like we could do that with Ratatouille, but I don't think we should because. Um, it's that good. It's Ratatouille yeah. to me is like the penultimate. Actually, there are a lot of people that consider it the best Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't fault them for that. There's there's too much not to say about this movie. I mean, from the opening sequence about, you know, rats and, and yeah. got Patton Oswalt. This I love Patton Oswalt. I love him so much. <laughs> like, He's so great. I, it was so great to. I was like, "Is that who I think it is?" Like, I love his stand-up, dude. And then it was, and I was that much happier about it. And then I think David Schwimmer plays his brother in the movie. Um, the um, let's, is it, let's look. What's is his it name? David Schwimmer or no? It's who hard to it? look on the cast because like half of the the descriptions in French. Hold on. Well, Pido, the health inspector. Colette. I did love all the uh, the Frenchness too. Yes, dude, and the um, the food animation, like the, when they're cooking and stuff, like it's amazing. Oh yeah, the making detail that is put in there. But oh, here's one that I I need to talk about is um, where is he at? Brad Garrett as the voice of Gusto. God, I love Brad. Mm. Garrett. Oh yeah, that was a fun character. I loved I loved how they <laughs> um they had Gusto as this ghost behind Remy the whole time. Yeah. Like he was like his conscience and yeah. He's like, Hey, I'm a figment of your imagination. He's like, yeah, that's weird. It's like Dexter when his like stepfather or his adopted father is like telling him what to do the whole entire time uh, in later seasons. You've got the OG, um, Bilbo Baggins, Ian home playing the, uh, the main villain who's trying to shut down our, our our good guys. Yeah. Ian home. That's uh, that's Bilbo from the original. Really? Oh my God. I had no clue. Yeah, man, doing some really good voice acting there. But so yeah, a couple of things that was I a, to say, also like, that like that villain. Oh, he kind of has the Smeagol esque vibe yes. to him when you mention Lord of the Rings. That's right. He's <laughs> like going crazy like the whole entire time trying to figure out. I mean, I imagine this rat. Nobody else sees this rat but me. Yeah, right. but <laughs> I love how um, it just consumes him. I mean, I don't know if we should save it for later on in the conversation, but I'm just going to go ahead and say his his beautiful name, Peter O'Toole, as Anton Ego. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, comes in at the that end. character. There's so much to say about him. But that's what I mean. Like, I feel like Matt or Zach, Matt, whatever, whichever one wants to jump in. Like, we really should at least try to at least. Yeah, yeah. We've got to we've got to kind of talk about yeah. this a little. OK, so the beginning, just at least the first third of the movie. Like I say, we could stop like right at when what when he actually gets to Paris like before he gets into the kitchen. So we can go there. The opening sure. of the movie. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Opening of the movie. Go ahead, you guys. So I want to, I want to, I want to talk about the villain or not the villain. The, <laughs> I guess, I guess you would call skit or not him. Who is he? Ego, the, yeah, the second antagonist, I would say, because he's right. not, he's not a villain. I want to He's not portrayed up. that way. He's portrayed as like this vampiric character, which, Ugh. Even when That's we first the greatest line ever, does he say he's got he's like I don't yeah. like food. I, I love, love it. it. And if I don't love it, 
I do not swallow it. Yeah, yeah this whole <laughs> crypt keeper thing going on. But even <laughs> even when um the whole thing about the stars and all that, I love that they introduce him straight in the beginning. Like in a, some of these movies, we've had it where you get you get the villain introduced like partway through. Right. Or not the villain. He's not a villain. He's the antagonist. But Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's, but, um, I don't even think he's the antagonist, truly. I don't. I well, don't yeah. He's, I mean, like Skinner's definitely the villain. There's a lot of people that actually think he's the villain. And they like call him like, he's the greatest Pixar villain. I'm like, well, he's not a villain. He just has a job yeah. as a food critic. He's, he's not. Like he an, he he's funds an the new restaurant at the end. Not just that, but the... Oh, go ahead, Zach. I'll say yeah, my... I yeah. want you to go ahead. So the whole thing, when they reintroduce him later on when he's like oh so gustavo gustos has a new uh a new chef or whatever or a new review and they report they have that like top-down view of his his like weird room thing and it's the shape of a coffin yes as as his assistant like comes in to give him the article or whatever yeah and he says um Oh shoot, I forget what he said. He has some quotes that like I want to kind of go over later on in here. I think but, they have character quotes it on the IMDb page, I swear. If you click on his character. Yeah, but there's like a really good bit about like critics. Oh, uh his the job at the end. Um yeah. he does it. Right here. Actually, they have the whole paragraph right here on IMDb. I don't know if you guys Where? Want to read it. Should I definitely feel like it's worth mentioning because that's kind of like right. what we're All doing. Right. I, I got it. I got it for you, Zach. It says, in many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something that is in the discovery and defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations, the new deeds, friends. Last night I experienced something new, an extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross understatement. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusto's famous motto, anyone can cook. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist. But a great artist can come from anywhere. It is difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now cooking at Gusto's, who is, in this critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest chef in France. I'll be returning to Gusto's soon, hungry for more. Except the yeah. government shuts it down, and he's creating a new restaurant. Zach, go ahead and make your point. I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought that it was very... Um... That sort of goes with Disney's whole message of greatness can come from anywhere and don't don't let uh, where you come from be the glass ceiling that keeps you from the success that you deserve. Absolutely. And I just think it's it's beautifully stated in there and it's it's very feel good. I mean, it's weird because at the end of the day, they are still rats. Right. But but it's not melodramatic feel good. It's actually it's very much yeah. human thing. Perfect example is what precedes that is when I guess we are just going to go right to the end because Anton Ego's sequence is amazing. The, the, the suspense leading up to him going in there and that he decides to make this dish and he has no idea that this man is so crit- critical of food because, you know, he grew up with a loving mother um, who, who did cook just traditional you know, meals for him. And it was, I think Ratatouille is like in a, in a, I don't know if it's a French dish. I think they said it was like something like Italian. I don't know. I can't remember. But they, they kind of alluded to where its origin is. And like, well, you know, whatever. And, I, and you could see Remy kind of changing it as it goes along. 
And then he takes a single bite of this thing and it takes him back to his childhood and his memory of his mother. And it's like, anyone can relate to that, whether it be, yeah. you know, like our, and he's got like the wrecked bicycle in the background. Like it just yes, fell off. his dude, It's amazing because anyone can relate to that. Like any mm-hmm. person who's seen a piece of, of, of literature, a uh, painting, uh, a movie, uh, a bit of song, um, a, a lyric, a poem, whatever it is. And this is in this case, it's this guy, it's food. Like, it, it takes you back to that moment where like you were a kid again. And you're like, wow, man, the world was a little bit different and it was almost like romantic and there were things yet to be discovered. And it, and it changes this guy's life. Who's, you know, it, he almost, I guess you could say like represents our cynicism for anything in life where we've seen so much of it that not really a whole lot impresses us. So he's, he's seen as this negative figure, but you got to imagine how much, I know Zach, you don't like me saying it, but it's the only way I can emphasize it. It's like how much fucking food this guy actually has to eat and taste and how many people want his opinion on things. And he's just so overwhelmed with it. And he's kind of done with it. You could just tell in his, in his air, he's like, ah, I don't really, whatever, man, let's do it. Let me, give me your best shot. I don't care. I know I'm not going to like it. So let's, let's just get this over with. And yet this thing surprises him. And it's like, anyone can do that. We've all been that cynical before about anything. And it's nice to be genuinely surprised and to feel something. How often does art actually make us feel? And that goes for the movie too. Ratatouille is is perfect in that sense. From, like I said, the very beginning. I mean, what movie do you know actually goes through and legitimately, like when he takes a bit of the cheese and it takes a bit of that um, strawberry and like it, it makes, it even gives it a little bit of a jazzy sense with, with the music and then also visually depicts it on screen. Yeah, I love how they did that with the... Um... Where you just make everything blank, and then you have oh, what's what's it called when they do that? Where you have like a like a graphic visualizer of the music yeah. happening in the yeah, background, and it's two different parts of the the music track, and then you blend them together, and you get this Absolutely. cool little rainbow dazzly effect. I thought that was a very creative, uh, right. just a very creative way to. Personify that, I guess. Yeah, I'm, words are hard. We're not, we're not <laughs> good with the words here. But, uh, okay. I'm definitely biased because, I mean, not to tell you guys my whole life story, but you know, one of the first things that me and my now current love of my life did when we were first getting together is I would bring food and the greens over to her place, and we would just cook in the kitchen together. I would chop this, that, things like that. And if you've ever even done anything like that or you've just cooked together, or you just enjoy cooking like I do. I, I chop up all my stuff before I eat it. it. It does. It gets fun, man. You really can picture it. It's, it's nice to put music on when you do it. And that's what that scene, anytime he's cooking, like when it cuts to just a little bit of a montage where he's putting the ingredients in, you just get that sense. Like I feel like the movie does such an amazing job of putting you in that in that place there. And it does. it never lags. Like you, I think – all of us now feel like we know what a kitchen staff looks like because now we know what the sous chef is and we know what the main chef is. And we know like the movie just briskly moves along, doesn't pause for anything. And yet you seem to know a lot. I mean, not to mention the visuals as well, which, you know, we'll get into that if you guys want to, the, the scene where he's on that, uh, he's right by the river and he, you know, obviously he falls in cause he's ready to throw Remy in the river and he's in the jar. That, the way they lit that mat is is amazing. It's it's fantastic. And Zach, you and I talked about lighting is like ninety percent of the animation. It's like ninety yeah. percent of the and they do it really, all the other stuff. Just light it right. <laughs> and they did, and they Not nailed it. Dude. Important. Right. Yeah. I also like how how each of the chefs in the kitchen feel 
feel unique and they all feel like they have their own personality and even the front of house staff. Right. And it's, it's great. Uh, Matt, we were talking earlier today about a scene that you really liked. Um, the scene when the, the guy comes into the kitchen, the waiter comes in and he's like, they asked for something different. Yeah. And, <laughs> like the whole kitchen steps freaking out. It's just this <laughs> wonderfully, it's a wonderfully, choreographed and shot and just everything in that sequence is 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 one like i want to rewatch just that sequence just because how hilarious it is yep. and the timing it, it, it seems like a real situation I, yeah I just love like him walking like him walking in like what was it was it something different or something new what was it that they said you just i think it was today. something different oh, okay or some like, it's one of the two so what did you tell him so I told him what you would ask, and then somebody else comes in the conversation. Yeah. And he has to repeat it again. I told him you would ask. I just love yeah, it. It feels very every time. It does, man. It does. Yeah. Like that, that that dialogue where we're talking over each other definitely feels very. Sweet. And you just like see I'm... from the front of house and like look into those the kitchen windows, and they're just. <laughs> oh, so good, man! It is so it, good. It also feels very. Um, very much like a family, which is true. Like you got to imagine these people work long hours in that kitchen. Yeah. You know, it's their life. That's what they want to do. And they're all passionate about it in their own way. And they all have a, yeah. a nice little role too, which once again, it's that overhead shot of like the plate moving along and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They cut to that sometimes and it, and it works. It, it does such a good job once again, of not really going out of its way to overly explain things. Cause right. you, you just follow it. It's like a rhythm. I mean, the movie really does flow like jazz, man. It's it's really really well done, and it's it's right up Brad Bird's style. I mean, when what he was doing with, uh, with Incredibles, I love Brad. Yeah, Bird. and there's another about- thing about the fun, uh, the chefs, where what when Colette talks about how oh no one no one like just chooses to be a chef. Everybody comes from a super weird gritty background. Like everybody there was basically an ex convict. Yeah. That had- done different stuff who's the and, one um, guy like, i killed a man with this thumb yeah, yeah. uh was that was that horse I'm trying yeah to... and it's when she was like oh no one knows for sure he changed the story every time you ask and then <laughs> even play the back to the thumb thing later when skinner tries okay. to sneak back in and you just see him like pull up his thumb and then skinner fly through the alley <laughs> you guys colette is voiced by janine garofalo yeah Crap. she's i love that character i think she's yeah wonderful she's brilliant. Oh. and wait yeah. hold on. i think i know who the character is uh wait is it larousse i think it's larousse is the one who does the who has that um the the thing where he changes his his story every single time no I that was horst oh is that is that who it is oh horse yeah, yeah. um, yeah. voices horst what oh i love it yeah, of course man of course will arnett does um what else can't can i like just talk on and on for about this movie i mean i think like the relationship between uh linguini and remy, and remy. i think that's pretty yeah. cool it's fantastic because they're also coming from the same spot but not really it's almost like they're they're going to meet in the same wavelength of outcast and feeling like no mm-hmm. one expects anything from them and everyone tells them what they can't do but at the same time they're coming at it from two completely different angles obviously remy being a rat and his dad doesn't approve whereas linguini his mom always told him he was be someone special didn't tell him who his dad was but you know oh you're gonna be a great kid so it's like this loving mm-hmm. upbringing <laughs> of like 
you could be whatever. You're going to do great. And it's like, Remy's coming at it from like, I love you, but you also kind of can't do what you want to do. Otherwise you're going to die. So don't, (laughs) so just don't do that thing. And so they both come from that same kind of area of like zero expectations. Just keep it minimal. Look, man, skate by in life. Don't do anything too crazy. And they both kind of grow from each other. Like, no, man, let's take this risk. Let's do it. Let's. I, I feel like the major conflict where Remy gets like angry at Linguini, like he's like, oh, he's taking all the credit for everything, even though he's not doing anything. Like, part of me, I'm like, okay, what do you expect Linguini to do? <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, I'm like, okay, what? Like, maybe he should be nicer to to you, like off camera, or when he's not getting interviewed by the media, right? But I'm yeah. like. Okay. Well, but does that make an interesting movie, Matt? And not to mention, sure. it doesn't make it very relatable because I don't care who you are. You can have the best intentions in the world, in the entire world, but you're always going to want to be seen. Like, Remy knows he's a rat. He, he, he's well aware of that. But when you put your heart and soul into something, you would love for everyone to recognize you for it. But he's in the literal most impossible spot of, like, just, you know, the rotten luck of that, that lottery. Right. He, he's never going to get it. And so, like, you have no choice as an audience member but to root for him because, absolutely, Matt, you're right. Like, when I was watching, I was going, well, come on, man. What do you expect? Like, Linguini's going to take credit for everything. He's going to get a big head because, you know, whatever. But it's like, you still feel for him because you do. You you kind of hope that the movie will give him that recognition. That's why the scene with Zach, as you yeah. want to jump right to, is, you know, the Anton Ego scene. It's like, it, it just unloads. It spills right out of your heart once yeah. the movie lets you get that that dramatic tension out of the way of like, you know, will Remy ever get recognized? Well, damn it. Yeah, he did. By the most unlikely person to expect was like the antagonist air quotes of the movie is the one who, as you guys, you know, said earlier, was like, he, he ends up like, okay, Gusto's got shut down here, man. I'm going to pour all my money into letting you have your own place and, and yeah. still for me. Like that's an amazing ending. Like it's such a beautiful movie. It's, yeah, it's very endearing. With uh, like immediately happier once he discovers Remy. Like seeing him at the, re- <laughs> the restaurant. At the yeah, re- he's just kind of he's like he's like surprise me with. Oh. He's like all happy. I'm like, wow, this guy has a personality. He's not doom and gloom in his coffin office all the time. Right. And right. That's- that's what I mean. Like it goes back to my whole diatribe before my whole soliloquy. Even when he's like, "Oh, please bring me some," I'll have I'll have an order of perspective, and it's just yeah. like, "What the f- <laughs> this conceited ass!" Like, what the heck? So yeah, the people, I, the people are like, "Oh yeah, I want I I'm here to order your best perspective right now." Like, like you're so high above the regular population. It's like, come but, on. He just wants to take your order, dude. Right. But that's what I mean. It's like, you you get yeah. it. Like, at that point, it looks like he's a conceited ass and he's full of himself. But once you see... I mean, he kind of still is at that point. <laughs> until see, he, until like, he eats the dish. I do empathize with him in that moment after he, like, he realizes, like, oh, wow, I could still be surprised. There is still creativity out there. You, right. you know, he's locked in this kind of doldrum of having to constantly give his opinion on stuff when nothing seems to really do anything for him at all. Just like I said, you got to imagine how much food this yeah. guy tastes, how often he does it. And you know, it, it, he falls into that, that pit of just cynicism. And as you, like you guys said, you know, he does, he comes across as a pompous ass, but then the movie does a great job. And that's fantastic writing. You're right, Matt. I didn't even think about that. It's his line. His last line of the movie is, you know, surprise me. 
what a great line to show like that character's immediate arc. Like that's awesome. That's actually really good writing. <laughs> also, can we talk real quick about the Linguini Colette scene? <laughs> Little chef. And then like, like just looks down at his groin and then looks back up. Looks so that funny. Was so great. I love that. Yeah. Cause once again, Pixar knowing that the adults are getting dragged to yeah. these theaters. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Ha, the chef is tiny. <laughs> but more, more about the fact that like, when she reaches out to pull out the pepper spray and then he goes in and they start just like making out. And it's, I feel like there's a weird message there of if you're good enough at making out, you don't have to worry if they pull out the pepper spray. <laughs> a little weird. Or Zach, maybe, maybe it's just like, I, I don't know what he was going to do. Oh, he was trying to kiss me. I'm okay with that. That could also, yeah. like, cause he's actually weird. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, I think she was attracted to him, like thought he was harmless. But in that moment, she's like, "Look, man, if he's gonna be weird, I'm gonna pepper spray him." But right now, like, if he kisses me, I mean, I guess. But <laughs> this dude's got to do something. Like, what's what's going on here? Yeah, that was kind of a weird sequence. It was. It was definitely whatever. I love that sequence. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I wonder how all the chefs so after they walk out. What That's was that? Because we never got to see the home lives of the other people that worked in the kitchen. Yeah, would, unless there's a secret post-credit scene. Uh yeah, I'll have to skim through that then off to see because I still have the Blu-ray, so maybe it's on the Blu-ray. I don't think uh, Pix does Pixar really do post-credit scenes. Did you just say that, Matt? After me and Zach talked about how many other Pixar movies that have post-credit scenes? Yeah, the the keep put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. Oh yeah, and I think like, Toy Story. So no, that was the Monsters Inc. Is Finding oh, Nemo is that a post-credit scene when they're like I don't know if they do the road and then they get to the water but they're still in the bags? Yeah, that go, is a post-credit scene. Okay, well, sorry, I'm I'm like I'm one of those people. It's like oh, credits, turn it off. The ocean. All right, now what? Um, now what? I guess we did talk about the main thing we want to talk about with Ratatouille. I guess if I had to throw anything left in from our conversation about Zootopia to just say that we compared it to, because I feel like all of us are talking a whole bunch about Ratatouille, but that movie's so amazing. Um, to give Zootopia a fair amount, what? Um, <sighs> I just want to talk about Ratatouille some more. I'm not even gonna lie to you guys. Like Zootopia, I, I got one good. more. I got one more thing to say about Ratatouille. Like, go ahead. So, when I first watched Ratatouille, it was when it was on HBO, like probably like a year after it was released. And I just watched like bits and pieces of Ratatouille and they were like never, I don't think I've ever watched it like all the way through, but I pretty much seen the whole entire movie like in 45 minute fragments, like randomly throughout the summer of 2008, like the year after it was wow. released. And then yeah, I remember like my, my first time watching it, uh, when Disney plus came up, I like made an effort to watch it like again, twice. And like the first thing that came into my mind and I even like made a post on Facebook about it. And I'm like, Ratatouille is an adult movie. Like it's not even a kid's movie. Like this is like, it feels like such an adult movie with like adult themes and like adult dialogue. Yeah. Well, it's French. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) And I feel like it does a really good job of like romanticizing Paris it's it kind of reminds okay. me of that thing where like I guess like there's like a cultural shock of like people from Japan that go to Paris right. and it's like Did not I, what they imagined. 
And it, I think it's like due to other reasons. I don't think it's Ratatouille, but for me. <laughs> hey, do you guys remember um, Spielberg made those early Tom Cruise movies, specifically two, Minority Report and War of the Worlds, where he was doing something different, where he was like dying or bleaching the, the, the negative. I can't remember. And it gave everything a bit of a softer kind of like lights were a little bit harsher, but I guess like even like characters on the screen, if you go back and watch them, like nothing is more rigid and the depth is still there, but like everything just has a softer touch to it. It's the best way I can. Well, that was, I think near the beginning of color grading technology too. Yeah. But like he was literally going back and like doing this on film. I think he was, like I said, bleaching or doing something with the negative before they actually did it. And um, yeah, it was really interesting to see because what I'm getting at is, Ratatouille does that visually as well. And that, that just goes to show you that, like I said, Pixar, their level of detail and trying to actually mimic real film stock or at least visually get it across is second to none. Because if you go back and watch Ratatouille, I, I promise you guys, like I said, that, that nighttime sequence or anytime they show like an outside of Paris or just anytime, you know, there's like a close up in the kitchen, um, specifically when the characters are. Well, I mean, it's very soft lighting that we get. Right. And like most of the movie, very warm, warm tone. Oh man. And it's just like, it's so well done the way they Mm -hmm. do it. Because I don't think any other animation studio would put that much effort into it. I just don't. I just don't see it. And I mean, if you've ever been into an industrial kitchen, it's not super glamorous. Like a restaurant kitchen. It doesn't feel the way that it's lit there. Yeah. They have all of these nice, nice natural light and stuff in there. Usually it's, it's these bright, bright ass fluorescents. It feels very, very emotionally draining. Everything looks gross because you're under fluorescent bulbs. Yeah. Yeah. What kitchen are you talking about? Like what kitchens have you seen that look like that? Like any, any real kitchen. Yeah. Have you been fluorescent lights because they're the cheapest no, I'm just saying, like, the only kitchen that I've been inside that I've, like, actually seen, besides, like, watching movies on how their kitchens look, has been, like, the Bubba Gump kitchen. And, like, that looks nothing like it, obviously. Right. And I, I feel like the kitchen is, like, pretty small compared to, like, the rest of the place, like, where you do, like, the cleaning and, yes. like, like, cleaning the utensils and everything. Yeah. But, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what kitchens you've seen, like, if they're actually comparable to, like, a fancy French restaurant kitchen. Well, and I mean, that's, that's fair. I guess like watching Gordon Ramsay's kitchen nightmares, oh, maybe isn't the okay. best example. No, I just I've didn't been- know if you like saw like real life kitchens. No, I well, I mean, I, when I did stuff at the baseball stadium and I would yeah, see the kitchen. That's there. very comparable to a French former fancy, like five star, whatever well, restaurant. I don't think I've ever been. Well, technically it was star. three stars at this point in the movie. Well, it was, but they didn't change the kitchen to match its stars. Matt, thank you so much for making sure that all of us are held accountable for our knowledge or lack thereof of French kitchens. Meanwhile, I'm just saying you're going to act like French kitchens don't have this natural lighting when you haven't seen one. Well, I mean, they probably don't. I was just talking about Pixar's use of actually like you have to develop, you have to design the frame that digitally enhance it to look like it's softer lighting. That's it. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's not really redesigning the frame it's like you kind of build out your scene and then you imagine where these natural light fixtures would logically be and i think that's probably why they placed some of those windows in those places was to to hide some some natural light in there like even um 
what is it? There's some thumbnails down here that I'm looking at. And one of them has like the shot of, of him when he first discovers the rat, like on his hand and you've got the skylight in there. And then it looks like you have the side light from the window that Remy's initially going to escape out of lighting the side of his face. Um, But anyway, another thing, I'm just going to jump to the next thing that I want to talk about, which is when Remy initially gets out of the sewer and there's that sequence of him kind of running around a bunch of things and he runs like in the rafters and we briefly see what looks like a mime holding up a man in a suit at gunpoint. (laughs) And then, uh, and what, what is he? He's like, you don't, you don't have the balls to do it or whatever. Or, they don't say that in a Pixar movie. What well, what, what do they about? say? He's like, "You come on, do it. You don't have the guts or something like that. And so then you hear a gunshot and then Remy runs back and they're just making out. <laughs> but just immediately there. How much the, gun violence actually happens in France. Yeah. I do love that, though, because I know you're talking about he's running in between individual yeah. apartments and stuff like that from inside. It's such the a quick moment. And then he like smells the cheese and gets led somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but just that it's it's just having this. They definitely play into like the stereotypes of France. Mm -hmm. This whole, this whole, oh Paris, the city of love, and all that, and even in that that like opening bit, I loved all the bits where they showed the TV, and Gustave or Gusto, and that whole how they built up that character and sort of threw in his little quips and his whole uh, his whole philosophy and his mantra. Yeah, out there in such a digestible way where you really you really you really just like this guy He's like this world class chef, but he also feels super approachable and just super lovable and endearing and just the love of the love of food and of cooking and just making really good food. I definitely second that my favorite little um, gag they do is actually when you see that um our our bad guy uh, Chef Skinner is is going to license out the image and uh, make like a frozen food product. Like oh frozen my gosh! Skinner. And you yeah. see all the versions of it, and you get to see the amazing voice talent that is Brad Garrett do all these different versions. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome, and it is so great. Like They're finding new ways to sell out. Yes, it was so good. Man. Mark, Mark coming soon. <laughs> and what was that? Like there was like a line in the beginning where he's like, he reminds me of another famous chef, Chef Boy R D. Like his oh, insults yeah. <laughs> are so are brilliant. Oh, yeah. So um, but oh, you know what you guys I, in the middle of this, I actually just remember what I actually would like to give Zootopia credit for was we're talking about like really grown up themes. Um the sequence that I was not prepared for was the actual sequence of bullying in Zootopia. Um, once again, I know this is like breaking off from our main convo, but I just wanted to give it. It's oh dead. yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, yeah, is the scene of Judy Hop kind of thinking back to her childhood and the bully, and that whole sequence is actually really well done, and they don't shy away from like how demeaning and how and how almost kind of mentally brutal bullying can actually be when he's got his literal, I think, like his his paw, or I guess you'd say like his foot. If I'm trying to give you guys the visual again, if you don't remember the sequence on her face after he did scratch her, this bully. And he, and you know, she kind of has to live with that. And she lives the rest of her life thinking he was just this horrible jerk. And then you cut to her as an adult. She's, she's working on, um, back with her parents after we all know it didn't really work out in the big city, supposedly. Mm -hmm. 
And she meets him and, you know, he's, he's really sorrowful. He regrets it. And he wants to apologize to her. He wants to say something to her personally. And it was, it was really nice that Disney would throw something like that to just throw in a little bit of complexity. Cause it's not something that we absolutely needed. I didn't feel like the movie needed it, but when I saw it, it's like, I don't think you could have gotten to your themes without it. Like it's actually really ingenious. I just, I really dug it. And I like the fact that they, they did like, there's no, there's no music. There's no other kind of quippy lines, right? Like once she thinks she's going to take on the big bad bully and she gets her ass handed to her and he really does, you know, embarrass her and demean her in front of the other kids. Like it, it it's really sad. It's, it's really kind of heartbreaking to see that. And there's nobody that comes to save her, right? No other kids kind of stand up for her until after the bully walks away and then everybody, you know, helps her up or whatever. But it's, it's tough, man. It's pretty, <laughs> it's, it's not pretty actually. That's the point. The animation's beautiful, but sequences pretty ugly and props to Disney for doing that. Honestly. So are we, uh, are we ready to vote? I, I think we are. I do too. I feel like we're ready. Yeah. Um, let's, let's do it. So Matt. It's always me first. Ratatouille. (laughs) All right. Well, Oh, definitely Ratatouille. All right. Well, I want to go with Ratatouille too. (laughs) Oh, another sweep. Another sweep. Um, as much as I mean, Zootopia. I guess I guess Judy Hops just wasn't able to to hop Zootopia past uh, winning Ratatouille. <laughs> Your puns are on point. <laughs> They're terrible. No, you, you but I guess say, like, I guess Ratatouille's the better rodent. Hop into the next round or something like that. Yeah, like, uh, I was like, come on, Zach. I was rooting for you. Well, I mean, maybe I gotta like plan these out before we do the episodes and then write them down. Well, you didn't know that Ratatouille was gonna win. It's not like wrestling where we pre-plan the results. So, right, you just gotta learn to be like a live sports commentator that like reacts on what happens. Probably by eventually, I think we'll get to that point. Yeah, Um, I mean, yeah, and we have so many good matchups in the second round that I feel like a lot of this is just like practice. Until we speaking of Matt, go ahead and give him a little bit of taste of what's coming next episode. Well, uh, before I let him know what's coming next episode, I want to recap because we actually have two matchups now set up. So we have Toy Story 3 versus Monsters Incorporated. Mm -hmm. That's going to be for the second round, the two winners. And then we got Coco versus Ratatouille. Oh. And uh, I noticed there is absolutely no Disney movies that have won so far. So that's saying a lot about how we feel about Pixar so far. <laughs> but our the next movie set of movies that we're going to be going over is going to be Wally, Pixar's Wally versus Disney's Atlantis. Ooh. All right. And, and also before that episode comes out, there is Matt, do you want to talk about the special episode that's coming between those? Um, yeah. Are are you talking about Steve Jobs versus the social network? Yeah. With our first guest. Yeah. Blake Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I love chatting with Blake, man. Honestly, he and I going back and forth on some Sorkin scripts was amazing. So yeah, we're going to have two Sorkin scripts go back to back. And that episode we actually already recorded. And I think it's pretty, it's pretty interesting if you wanted to hear some movies that weren't just Disney movies. And we'll probably spring, we're going to sprinkle some more of those in do some other outside of the Disney bracket comparisons, just sort of one-offs to kind of see what, what gets everyone's feet wet. So if you have any recommendations, you can uh, 
send them over to our new Twitter, the Great Movie Showdown on Twitter. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. TGMS. So is it Here actually TG- is it actually called the Great Movie Showdown on Twitter? Is that going to be our Twitter handle? Uh, if it's not taken, because I haven't set that up yet, but I will by the time this episode comes out. Maybe we should make oh, our Twitter oh, handle before we promote it. Probably. <laughs> I mean, well, that would be ideal. That way. We, we do stuff differently. Should yeah, I look the, that up right the now? The Great Movie Showdown. Yeah, I, I think that makes for great like entertainment for our listeners at home. Yeah. So let's find my Twitter app. Except like if they already followed us and then they're like, they already have all the spoilers. They're not going to be wondering, is this the name of the Twitter handle or not? The Great Movie. But yeah, uh, Will, Zach and I were talking before and we're thinking about doing like other uh, like movie brackets eventually. Once we get done with this. this. The Art of the Great Movie Showdown. Ooh. Uh-oh. Are we going to get sued? I, we already got t-shirts made. We have a beautiful logo that's actually... Oh, no. This is this is of showdowns in movies. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It says, Great Movie Showdowns Too Rare. Luke and Vader, Batman and Bane. The Bride and Bill. Okay. This is a, this is a, the Atlantic article. Oh, okay. So, but no, I- the name is not taken, so... Um, nice. We're doing it. Nice. I was just shit talking for no reason then. It's Wait, like usual. Hang on, there is something called the Great Hockey Movie Showdown. Okay, see there you go, Zach. You're like you're building up the little bit of anxiety in me, and then you just you're just saying something like, "Oh well, there's hockey movie. We're the mo- Great Movie Showdown." Yeah, someone else did the Great Lincoln Movie Showdowns. Oh Lord. Of so the like, Vampire oh. Hunter. Oh God, God, I guess. Matt, been... Matt, you were telling me about other brackets. Hit me. Sorry. With yeah so i don't know part of us like what i want to do eventually is like we all pitch pick like a director or we all agree on like four directors and we pick eight of their best movies and then we put them in a bracket similar to this like assign each movie a number and then just do the google random number where we'll just make sure their movies don't meet in the first round like you don't want like Steven Spielberg to meet another Steven Spielberg movie in the first round. And it would, yeah, like something like that would be cool. But this is probably like way in the future. This is probably going to be more of our project. And then we'll just do one-off episodes. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. definitely like that. And ranking just our favorite director's movies. I mean, why don't we do that as well? Don't forget. Like, we can just. And I feel like with that one, we can probably get Blake Smith to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything involving Paul Thomas Anderson. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> And and you'll probably want what's his face. Oh yeah, uh, good old what's his face. Oh, the guy, that, the guy that made that- uh, two thousand one oh, Kubrick. Oh, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, oh. like Stanley Stammer. How could you forget? Exactly. Makes carpet carpets cleaner. Oh, All right, do you want to end this show? We should probably like no. cut out the rest. Oh, <laughs> like all that oh, just um... shitty talk. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. so, uh, this has been the Great Movie Showdown. Uh, don't forget to, I guess, subscribe. Check us out on YouTube at nicethrowproductions.com. And We're send us have, your nudes. Don't oh. do that. But do uh, do review us on Apple Podcasts and whatever. Um, and yeah, yeah, keep listening. We'll keep uh, reviewing. Uh, did we talk about the next round? We already did that. Didn't we? Yeah, we did. This is the part where we start fading No, out. I don't- 
Wait, did you talk about the next round? What yeah, was the next Wall- round? Wally versus Atlantis. Yeah, okay, never mind. Stay tuned for make sure you check out those two movies before uh next week's episode so you can be with us and be in the hot seat. Oh wait. We didn't do uh we didn't do the one thing that we do. We didn't look at Google Trends. Oh fuck oh. off. So anyway, Zach, uh, yeah, you got to do the thing that you do is Google Trends. What's up, man? Oh, yeah. Let's check out Google Trends. Uh, okay. So first, first, let's check out uh, Big Hero 6 versus Zootopia. Why don't you be right about Big Hero 6? Big Hero 6 is going to get main because everyone loves Baymax, man. I'm telling you. I bet you. Hang on. Ooh, Zootopia. Zootopia Spiked right before coronavirus on February second. Oh, okay. And right. also right before uh, November tenth through sixteenth, it spiked. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. So let's the weird related queries. Birdman trailer. <laughs> okay. So no, now no, let's no, check. No, let's check no, Zootopia by um, Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Remove Big Hero 6. Uh, how do I spell that? Ratatouille. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, ready? Check it out. R A T A T. I got it. I got it. It's in. Oh, shoot. Zootopia beat Ratatouille. Oh, it's 41 to 20. Although, oh, yeah, this was the same same thing. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So it looks like the audience may have some upsets for us uh, this time. This time. Yeah, around. I, I kind of figured that though, because you know, people people really dig Zootopia. I know that much. I know kids like it a lot more. Ratatouille is much more as as Matt was pointing out earlier. You know, it's much more of yeah. a adult film. So I can see why kids would really care too much. And I mean, I feel like Zootopia is kind of an adult film too, with uh, with kind of the overall message, well, sort no. of a message for growth and change. Absolutely, don't get me wrong, but I'm just pointing out that like it definitely has fighting the status quo, right? And it has more of like the moving stuff across the screen a lot more, like vibrant. (laughs) Make it sound so, so like base base level. Yeah, (laughs) stuff moving across the screen more in Zootopia. You know what I mean, man? Come on, like they've got the big chases every few minutes, and you know, like. It, it is. It's definitely made, it's geared more towards kids in that regard, but it has a lot of adult jokes. Zootopia is a quality movie. Ratatouille, All right. I'm sorry, let me say it. Zootopia is a quality animated film. I feel like it's, it is a really well done animated film. Ratatouille is just a good damn film, like regardless of whatever genre. It is really good. It's that good. All right. Well, I think this is probably a good spot for us to, uh, to call this episode. We've, uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Great Movie Showdown. And it looks like we'll be seeing Ratatouille in the next round against uh, someone else. But before that, we've got a different movie showdown. This is the part where we start fading out because um, we've said a bunch of this information already. Right. Anyway, so uh, we can't do the same song over and over again. We got to do a Ratatouille song. This has been a nice throw production. Nice throw, Matt.